Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Small doses. Self-help from the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Nancy Seals. So funky. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Small Doses. We keep going and going and go. We're very energized by any commercial in the in the 80s. That's what we are. Yeah. My engineer and my producer both looked at me like, what are you talking about? That's because they're 12. So <laughs> <laughs> they both just threw their hands in the air like, come on. It dawned on me today that I'm going to be 37 on July 1st. And that, that's a doozy phenomenon. A doozy phenomenon is a doozy that is also unbelievable. A doozy phenomenon. Yep. Term coined with me and my roommate at SUNY Purchase circa 19. All right. <laughs> so. Side effects. You know what? Let me just say this. I know some of y'all showed up here like, let me just see what she's talking about. That's my white woman voice. I know some of y'all showed up here like, why don't she not to kill it? That's my very hype black woman voice. I know some of you showed up like, you know, let's not get too hasty. Let's just see what she's talking about. And that's my black woman lawyer on television with a short haircut voice. Because I don't know if you know this, but all black women lawyers on television typically have a very short haircut. It's a fact. You can actually go to the archives and check. I'm, I'm batting. It's like a high percentage, like 85%. Just saying. But today's episode of Small Doses is Side Effects of White Women. Hoo-wee. I know some of y'all just got your whole panties in a bunch. Unbunch them. And listen, okay, because it's very important to listen to my point and to listen to this entire episode to understand what we're talking about and where we're coming from and what the actions are after. I know sometimes you may only listen to the gem dropping or you may only listen to the DMTs. And this is not an episode just for black women to listen to. I, I want everybody to listen to this because... I really do believe that if we could get more perspectives on various things and more consciousness about things, we would be a lot more accommodating and tolerating and aware, just aware of ourselves. And white women, y'all are the most least aware of yourselves in the world. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the world has spent the last few centuries teaching everybody else to be aware of you. That's a fact. People have lost their lives simply because you were like, <clears throat> so that <laughs> is a real thing. Ain't nobody lost their life because a black woman was like, <clears throat> nobody. Okay. They may have lost their life because we was like, oh, hell no. It's not going down. You must be crazy. I'm not letting this happen. This is, this is preposterous. Then you may have lost your life. But for just like a, <sighs> no, that's all white woman reign. And there's a reason for that. We're going to talk about that. 
And of course, this comes on the heels of recent stories of like, I mean, we've had, I mean, a litany of stories over the centuries, you know, of white women just like triggering things. But specifically, like the white woman at Yale who called the cops on two different black students because they were on campus and she felt because they were in the common area. One woman fell asleep in the common area and then she literally unlocked her dorm room and the cops were still asking her for proof. I mean, you guys, I will throw this fucking mic through the window. Are you kidding me? And then the white woman who called the folks in Oakland, called the cops on the folks in Oakland having a barbecue. What? And of course, Oakland showed their whole ass and came out and had an even bigger barbecue in the same spot. Electric sliding. Before I let go, when grills in their teeth and on the grass. What? Okanda, for real. So this is this episode is um, it's very multidimensional and is by no means a bashing session. It's an awareness session and it's coming from the voice and the experience of a black woman in this country. Let's get into it. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. Jam dropping. We dropping on these hoes. <sighs> ah, the droppery of the gems. I feel like our producer is very uncomfortable today because <laughs> she's shaking her head. No, no, no. Let me tell you why she's not uncomfortable. She's not uncomfortable because I told her before the show that she falls into the latter category of today's gem dropping, which is white women versus Women who happen to be white. Some of y'all just perked up like, could I be that? Maybe I'd fall into that. Cross your fingers. Hopefully by the end of this explanation, you do fall into that category. And just so you know, with great uh, power and great non-whitery comes great responsibility. So listen close for your marching orders. I always say that there are only two types of white people. People who are white and people who happen to be white. And in this realization, it's literally changed like how I have to speak in order to continue to support this theory. People who are white determine at least a portion of their dopeness by the fact that they are white. People who happen to be white understand that whiteness ain't no real shit. It is literally a construct created to oppress others and their dopeness has nothing to do with that and everything to do with their ethnicity and if you don't know where your ethnicity stems from in terms of your immigrant family because oh by the way everybody that came here is an immigrant if you don't know your Irish background or your Russian background or your Scottish background and you just consider yourself American guess what be American we need to start considering American as an ethnicity that is not solely associated with whiteness. That's part of the problem. And that's part of the shade of this country is that it is constructed on a premise that says that it is for only white people. Literally, the Constitution said that the, the, you know, certain rights were only uh, available to landowning white men. So until we literally start considering this country differently, in terms of whose it is and how it is, we will not see change. When you see Make America Great Again, what that is conceptualizing is Make America White Again. 
And for the record, America ain't never been white. Okay? They may have tried it. They constructed it. They created it. But in reality, it has never been the case. So if we want to speak truths, we have to get to that bottom line. And if you are a person who is white, you refuse to get to that bottom line because you feel like part of your dopeness is reliant upon ignoring that bottom line. If you happen to be white, you are aware of that bottom line because you know that that's privilege. And you know that until that is deconstructed, you are going to benefit from that privilege and also use that privilege to challenge that privilege. I know that sounds like mental gymnastics, so I'm going to say it again. You know that you benefit from that chimp privilege, but you are also going to use your privilege to challenge that privilege. Amanda, how? How am I supposed to use my privilege to challenge privilege? That sounds like inception, and I need a totem. What's my totem going to be? Let me tell you. The way that you challenge privilege using your privilege is you use your privilege to create voices, platforms, and opportunities for individuals who do not have those same opportunities, platforms, and voices. You also challenge people who share that privilege and you challenge the systems that uphold that privilege. And the reality is, is that you, by having that privilege, are given more value and merit in your challenging than the individuals who don't. That's the whole shit about privilege. I know some people are like, Amanda, there's no such thing as white privilege. Fuck out of here. That's insane. Of course there is white privilege. The reality is like when a white woman calls the cops and says this black person is doing some fuck shit, the cops show up and go, black person, what fuck shit are you doing? And then we have to explain ourselves to the cops. When a black person calls the cops and says, these white people are doing some fuck shit, the cops show up and ask the black people, what fuck shit were those white people doing? And then the black people have to explain to the cops why they felt the white people was doing fuck shit. You see the difference. And in those situations, it doesn't matter if you're white or if you happen to be white. Because the reality is we still live in a country that considers folks to be white if they look a certain way. And you, as an internal person yourself, have to determine for yourself how you view yourself because that manages, that determines how you manage yourself in this world. And I know a lot of people are like, Ugh. oh my God, that sounds like really tiring. You know, it's like putting together an IKEA bookshelf. I just need instructions. Well, as we all know, IKEA instructions are trash. And they're even better than the instructions on how to dismantle racism. But at the end of the day, if you are a person who happens to be white, you are aware that it is part of your role as happening to be white to dismantle the the system that still gives you the privilege of being white, regardless of if you accept it or not. And, you know, that's when we get into white allies versus white saviors. And that's a whole other show. But the reason I wanted to start this show off with this and make it clear is because when I talk about white women, I'm talking about a specific type of women. I'm talking about women who uphold white supremacy. And some of y'all do that and you don't even know. (gasps) You don't even know. But I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about it. When you do that fucking passive aggressive shit at work and you keep doing that shit and you don't understand that you're being passive aggressive versus professional. Like, it's really, honestly, like, I don't think a lot of women who are white or women who happen to be white understand that, like, 
culturally in this country, black people handle discourse differently than the white and happen to be white sector of people. We just do. Like we will say we will have the exchange and then it's like that has been dealt with and then we keep it moving. Corporate America, because it was created by white folks, does not handle things that way. It handles things in a very passive aggressive fashion. And so professionalism has now become synonymous with passive aggression. Literally, it is unprofessional to simply address something directly. <laughs> it is more, it's considered more professional to write an email that circuitously addresses the issue while still pointing fingers at people and CCing a bunch of unnecessary fucking people so that you get in trouble. And it's all just a ridiculous situation that I want all of you white women and women who happen to be white to really start looking at yourself about because it's happening in your office. And let me tell you, Keisha is pissed about it. She's pissed. And she has written you an email more than once that started, bitch, I know you didn't just put Susan on this shit and had to erase Backspace, 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 delete, 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 delete. Backspace, 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 backspace. Hope all is well. <laughs> In our previous correspondence, I see that you CC'd our supervisor, Susan. I do not believe her to be <laughs> a, a necessary factor to the implementation of this project. Please, in the future, Consider not CCing Susan unless it is absolutely necessary. Thanks. Please advise. Like, <laughs> you think Keisha wanted to write that whole fucking email? You know how much time that took just to protect your dumbass little feelings? Passive aggression in the workplace by white women and women who happen to be white absolutely, in my opinion, is a direct relation to the fact that the entire world has been created to protect you. And that is a real thing. And so no one tells you things directly because it's like we can't hurt her feelings. And so we are literally trained to like, we're trained to matrix your feelings. And when you look at situations like, like the white woman crying after she called the cops on the barbecue, you gonna cry? How you, you gonna, you gonna cry? We will soul train through your tears. We will soul train through your white tears. Stop it. Stop it. No. So I say all of that to say that if you are a white woman and you consider being white part of your greatness, I hate to break it to you, but that's some bullshit. And the only thing that is upholding that is oppression. So if you feel that oppression is worth you feeling good about yourself on some fake shit, then by all means. But just know you lying, homie. You lying to yourself. On the other side, women who happen to be white, good for you. Step one was that you realize that white shit is some bullshit. Step two, start using your privilege to change it. We're serving it. I cannot believe. Okay, of course I can believe. Like the amount of questions that have come in for this side effects of is incredible. What I am actually surprised about though is how many of the questions are directly related to dealing with white women in the workplace specifically the corporate workplace like it's it's clearly kicking everybody's ass 
Everybody is having a struggle time with it. I've gotten all types of questions that vary, that are in different variations from how do I not offend white women in the workplace? How do I handle, you know, oppressive white women in the workplace? How do I maneuver? Um, you know, how do I tell white women in the workplace to stop touching my hair? Or how do I tell white women in the workplace to stop asking me how to do their mixed child's hair? Um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. For the last one, by the way, though, like you might just have to take one for the team. You know, consider it like a, a philanthropic effort for the child. All right? Because she don't know. You know, this white woman don't know. And if you don't tell her, she's going to try and Google. And then she's going to be putting like castor oil in this baby hair. You know, so we just need to like... You know, that's one of those joints where you just got to be like, you know what? This is really annoying for me, but I care about this black baby. And so I'm going to put you on to what you need to be putting in this child's hair. But let's get into these DMTs. All right. I'm in a position of corporate power and all of my direct reports are white women. The company I work for is very inclusive, but the area in which I work is very Trumpish. How can I feel free to bring my whole self to work and even deliver tough conversations around performance slash behavior and exhibit passion in my role without coming across as a dreaded, angry black woman? Mm. Now, remember, I don't work in corporate America. I have worked in corporate America in that space, but I do have to first disclaimer that there are certain nuances to everybody's job and workplace, et cetera, et cetera, that you have to apply to this advice. Okay. Because you know where you work way better than I know where you work. But I will say that sometimes you just can't bring your whole self to work. Save your whole self for the barbecue. Okay. And the way that I, the reason, and then some, some of y'all are like, oh, hell no, that's like respectability politics. No, it's not. That's energy preservation. That's what that is. Because the reality is that, like, it's work. And I know that you have a passion for your job and you want to be able to give everything, but then you may need to go get another job. Because the fact of the matter is, is that in that space, you do need to temper because of the way that things are. Now, I think that there is... Um, a unique way of dealing with situations. But my my frustration with those spaces is like familiarity breeds contempt. Because part of it is like you want to kind of just like make that, you know, make everyone feel comfortable enough to where you can have conversations with them and they don't feel like you're attacking them. But what inevitably happens in that time is that they then feel like you can't say shit to them because now we're buddies and my buddy would never say that to me. Oh my God, why would you say that? That's offensive. You're hurting my feelings. I'm crying. Do you hear me crying? She made me cry. Lakeisha made you cry? Lakeisha made me cry. What? Yes. No. So I do think that sometimes it's like you just got to really understand that like work is work. And there's a certain level of you that you, you know, show at work. And you protect the rest of you from getting shit on. In that space. Now, if you're like, Amanda, no, I love my job. I want to be able to give everything at my job. I want to be able to do everything at my job. You have to then, if you are in charge of hiring, then you need to be very clear on the ways in which you communicate. And when you are hiring folks, you need to have a certain level and line of questioning that gets across to them. Um, way that, well, that allows you to see from them if they can handle you. 
Like, I know that I'm a very certain kind of person. I'm particular. Once, once, when the heat is on, I stop, you know, trying to give you all special little words to make your feelings feel good. Like, we got to get the shit done, you know? And so I, I, when I'm hiring, I give, like, scenarios and situations and just to see, like, what their response is going to be. And it really lets me know the type of person they are. I can't hire a hypersensitive person. I know that because a hypersensitive person is not going to be happy working for me and I ain't going to be happy working with them. You know, like I hire people who really are just like how quickly and how efficiently can I get this job done? That's their number one focus. Because nine times out of 10, if they do that, then I don't have a reason to blast on them anyway. But the thing about it is that like if you are in that hiring position, you can control the types of energies that are around you and that can respond to you in a way that don't that doesn't feel like you're the angry black woman. Now, that being said, you've got people who are already there and, you know, there's not a monolith. I mean, I'm saying, like we've said in this whole episode, there's white women, there's women who happen to be white, and people are from all different backgrounds. So it's not to say that Ashley H. and Ashley C. are both going to respond to you the same way. But in any managerial position, I feel like the one of the most important things to do is figure out how to deal with people as individuals. And some individuals can take shit and some individuals can't. Some individuals are more racist than others. Some are more sensitive. You know, some are more um, realist, optimistic, pessimistic, etc. And so it really becomes like, okay, which of these Beckys can handle me at my blackest? And which of them need me to be at Michelle Obama level? They go low, we go high. And, you know, which of them require me to be, you know, straight up just like vanilla Oreo cookies? You know it's chocolate, but it look like vanilla. You got to ask yourself that. And the frustrating part of being in a managerial position is the amount of work you do outside of your work. When you're in a managerial position, like you're like, I'm trying to get the work done, but majority of your work is just dealing with the people who are doing the work. So the problem being a black woman in a managerial position is you're doing that, and on top of that, dealing with managing the work of how they're going to perceive you against this stigma that you ain't got shit to do with. Because the angry black woman stigma comes out regardless. You can say happy birthday and they're like, oh my God. She said it like I have to be happy or something. You know what I mean? Like you're over here like, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you happy birthday dear madison maddie for short happy birthday to you happy birthday girl and they hear happy Happy birthday birthday, bitch and you're like what (laughs) did she not hear the vibrato So sometimes you can't win. So save it for the spaces you can win, like your living room. Next question. This is pretty general, but I hope you can answer it anyway. Where do you think the lack of empathy for issues relating to women of color, specifically black women, comes from? I understand that racism is still an issue. However, I also see this lack of empathy from so-called allies and liberal white women as well. I think it boils down to relatability. You know, I think that there's just like a really large chasm for a lot of white women between people of color. And that chasm is what makes them feel strong because whiteness is built on not being the other. That's the entire platform of what it is to be white, not being the other. 
you are above, you are supreme. So the idea of relating to, you know, issues of POC almost for any white woman feels like you are somehow like less than um, the level of white that you were. I don't feel like it's this way with women who happen to be white. And there've been plenty who have been in movements all across the nation and the world, but for specifically, and, and specifically I say this because like the feminist movement is not just women who happen to be white. It's led in many parts by women who are white and who did not consider women of color to be a part of the feminist movement. You know, I don't label myself a feminist for that reason. Like, I have certain feminist ideals. I have womanist ideals. And I just have basic, like, that's, that's fucked, fucked up. up ideals. You know? Which is just, like, being able to call out shit that's fucked, fucked up. That's, like, a basic ideal. But that being said, I think the failure of being able to see those, those experiences and, um, you know, have empathy uh, is because of a desire to not want to. That's what I think it is. Because I feel like if they do, then they somehow feel like they're getting pulled down into your druthers. Druthers is a word that I don't know where I came from. I'm clearly Sherlock Holmes and Mr. Watson. Next question. Is it wrong for me to feel a certain way about seeing white women and with black men when I am a black and Puerto Rican woman? I'm from New York City and live on the West Coast and see black men with white women so much, I crack my neck when I see a black couple. Well, I think this relates even to, like, Donald Glover's, like, uh, the aftermath with his song, This is America, right? Because everybody found out he had a white wife, and they were like, oh, hell no! And, um, you know, interracial dating, et cetera, is, is a real thing because, let's be real, like, black love has been politicized forever, and there was a time where you literally could not date a white person without it being illegal. So there's something to be said for, like, why there is a certain level of, um, you know, passed down bitterness in that space. That being said, I really, really do try to consider people as individuals whenever that, whenever I can. I think for a lot of people, like, the issue with, like, a Donald Glover being married to a white woman is that, like, he made this video that's, like, extremely, um, you know, egregiously talking about, like, the black experience in a way that is very cryptic, by the way, but that is very clearly, like, decisively black and then doesn't provide explanation or context to it and it's considered to be, quote-unquote, woke and folks are like, well, how can you be woke if you have a white wife? Listen, if your wife is a woman who happens to be white and she's woke as shit... Go ahead. That I that doesn't I mean we hey there's allies. But I think to me like the people people who had real issue with it is because like you don't never you'll never hear about Donald Glover's white wife being woke. Right. So then it just feels like, well, what is this now? Back in the 60s, there was a, a writer named Leroy Jones who wrote um, The Dutchman, which is a very, 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 very famous play from the. Um, black arts movement of the 60s and 70s. And Leroy Jones was married to a white woman. And when the civil rights movement happened and the black arts movement happened and he realized like the black pride, move, black pride movement was happening and just what was going on in our nation in terms of the necessity for revolution, he was like, I, I just, I can't be with a, a white woman and really actively be a part of this conversation. It just feels contradictory. Now, I don't know if Shorty was down or not, but clearly I feel like he was like, she ain't down enough. And he left her, changed his name to Amira Baraka, became one of the greatest poets and writers of our time. And his 
son Ross Baraka became the mayor of Newark. Um, but, you know, the reason that you feel that way, I think, is because black love has been politicized in this nation in so many ways in which there have been um, impediments created by white people to having black love, even back from slavery and having like families broken apart and, you know, children taken and sold down the river, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so it, it just feels like there's in your DNA, this, um, this like pinch that says like, we finally have the opportunity to be freely black and love each other. And you choose otherwise. And I think some of us are more connected to that than others. I think that there is validity in that feeling. Like, don't get me wrong. I know it seems like it was a long time ago. And so it's like, no, there isn't. But I I do feel like there is there is an awareness to that. But the frustration, I think, is the initial thought process that says, like, that if they're with a person who looks white, then they're not down. And you don't know that by looking at somebody. You know? I know some people who happen to be white who are downer than some black folks I know. You know, they're like black folks who happen to be black, which is not the same as white people who happen to be white. It's literally the opposite. <laughs> when black folks are black folks, that's great. When black folks happen to be black, you're like, mm, you voted for Ben Carson when he was in the primaries, didn't you? Trash. So I hear you and I see why you feel that way. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of value in pushing that narrative when we have to just, you know, start really looking at individuals to a certain extent. But I do understand on a on an overall scale, especially when it comes to like leaders and shit, you know, there's just a certain clarity of presentation that sometimes has to be in place. And we are not by any means in a nation that has yet to embrace black as equal. And when I talk about blackness, I'm not talking about blackness as a race all the time. Sometimes I'm talking about blackness as an ethnicity. And blackness is an ethnicity that was born in spite of the oppression of whiteness. And that's what makes it different from white culture. So there's a lot being said in this episode. You're going to have to listen to it twice because even myself, I'm like, damn, nigga, you dropping some gems. And that was the first segment. And they still dropping. Next question. What do you think is the root cause of some white women using black women as sources of inspiration, strength, humor, etc., yet excluding the same women from intimate friendship circles? Mm. 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 I think this goes back to the question we discussed a little earlier about relatability. However, more perniciously, I believe that it is really related to simply like the continuance of cultural appropriation, but in the legitimate uh, way of using people as appropriation and I think that it also comes down from the lineage of people as property and within this country you know black people were property and whatever we created was at the taking <laughs> of the people who were in power and that was white people and so they're the same way that I just talked about like this like continuous like essence in your DNA that says like damn like we in you know we had deal with this in slavery and now we don't. Why are we continuing it? I do feel that that still exists in certain white folks, maybe even in involuntarily. But it's like we live in a society that continues to push certain themes. Even if it doesn't do it in a conspicuous fashion, it's still there. It's still beneath the surface and not deep beneath the surface. You know, it's like in that movie. Um, I say that movie, but I've seen it in a couple movies where someone is like right beneath the ice and you can see them like, 
you see their face like beneath the ice and you like, oh shit, I could see them, but I can't save them. That's how racism be in this country. Until Trump came in and they were like, crack the ice. And then they came out of the ice with a goddamn Confederate flag. And you're like, how did they find a Confederate flag at the bottom of an icy lake? And you're like, because the racism was there the whole time. And it was frozen, preserved, waiting for Obama to bounce so he could thaw out and come back. I didn't know how much I needed this episode. Especially after seeing just all the dumb racist shit that's been happening. This is a lot of dumb racist shit. You know, like, shout out to Trike- you know, Trikesia Clemens at, at, at Waffle House. And Waffle House is, like, not doing shit to support, like, what happened to her on their, on their grounds. But you know who is doing shit? People in Atlanta are doing sit-ins. Old school style, y'all. Sit-ins at the Waffle House. I'm getting a whole rack of folks up in there, sitting down, ordering water or refillable drinks. Four hours. And what you do is you go in there. And you order your water or your refillable drink and you work on your actual work while, they, while you prevent them from getting work. <laughs> now, that's what I call a sit-in. Okay. So, you know, I, um, I'm veering off the topic because there's so much to talk about with this. But I think that's really what it, what it, what it equates to is that the women who do that with black women, the women who, you know, claim to idolize black women in terms of strength, humor, inspiration, but exclude them from intimate friendship circles, don't consider you to be equal. They consider to you be they consider you to be a resource. And that is absolutely in connection to the fact that we have always been considered a resource in this country. And it's fucked up. And that's why I can't stand them Kardashians. Next question. Actually, that was all the questions. You know what? We got time for one more just because there were so many questions. And I know that it's probably going to make this episode hella long. But y'all listening, right? Y'all don't care, right? Let's do it. How to deal with a white, crazy, racist grandmother when you're mixed. I've been trying to help her get understand she's wrong, but she can never be wrong in her eyes. Very few family members speak with her. Literally just my grandpa and uncle. But she'll cut me off from seeing my grandpa if I offend her. I know this is an extremely unhealthy relationship. What should I do? Oof. First of all, I'm sorry that you have to experience that. It's, it's tough enough dealing with that in a world of strangers than dealing with that in your own circle, especially in your bloodline. So I really, um, I really send out some love to you on, on managing that. I think that, unfortunately, there's not much you can do except keep your conversations very limited and very focused on something that has nothing to do with racism. And, you know, you may have to get creative in that. Like, what's something that she likes that you can talk about that has nothing to do with racism? Does she like My Little Pony? Because there ain't no racism in My Little Pony. They all ponies. She don't like the black pony. Come on, man. Is there any, are there even any black ponies? There's brown ponies. You know what I'm saying? So maybe there's something in that space. Does she like fish? Y'all can talk about fish. Get her an aquarium. Just talk about the fish. Grandma, I got you a new blue fish. And I got you an orange fish. And I got you a pink fish. Ain't no black fish in there. Ain't no white fish in there. So ain't nothing really to talk about. But I'm saying, like, find, <laughs> find something that y'all can talk about that is absolutely not relating to that. And it's just used as a device to be polite and show her that you have respect for her in order to get what you really want, which is to get to grandpa. Abuelo. That's really the only point. It's just creating a device. But by the way, do you see the extra work we have to do? This is the extra work that has to be done. She got to come up with a whole extra device to deal with to simply not offend this white woman so she could see her grandfather. You know how crazy that is? 
That is what this episode is about. The perniciousness of what it is to be a white woman in America and upholding that fuckery and making everybody work around you to protect your bum ass feelings that ain't got shit to do with anything real other than a fake ass concept of supremacy. That's what this episode is about. That was the last question. I'm, I'm hot right now. Let's take a little music break. I'm back. All right. I think it's time for people I like. How about you? People I like. Yeah. Today's People I Like is all about Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle is an author, and uh, she's the creator of TogetherRising.org. And Together Rising, this is what it says on their website. In a world where crises abound and heartache is in every community, people who want to help often don't know where to turn. Together Rising is where to turn. Together Rising transforms heartache into action. Most of Together Rising's funds are raised through love flash mobs, time-limited fundraisers that have revolutionized crowdsourced online giving with thousands of strangers giving a maximum of $25 to meet a particularly need, a particular need in a matter of hours. 100% of what Together Rising receives from every personal donation goes directly to an individual, family, or cause in need. Not one penny we receive from individual donation goes to administration costs unless a donor specifically authorizes that use. Now, Aside from obviously being, you know, a philanthropist and having this this great 501c3 nonprofit, what I what was really brought to me about Glennon Doyle that really like showed me some shit was <laughs> this article about her on The Cut. And The Cut is a website and literally the title of the article was Glennon Doyle is coming for white women. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, I need to see that." I need to see it. So what I thought was really dope was that she directly um, addresses white women. And I'm going to read you a quote from her. Okay. So I need to talk to the white women for a minute. I know that many of us are feeling alone and ignored and threatened and abused. But what we need to remember is that this is just the touch of the pain that so many marginalized people in this country have been feeling for ages. What sucks is that it took us being personally affected to finally show up. We cannot show up for the movement and say, here we are, until we say, we are so damn sorry it took us so long. And so when white women say to me, how do I lead? Where do I begin? I say, you do not lead and you don't begin anything. The fight for civil rights is not new. We're just new to it. You better say something, Glennon Doyle! What? Now, you know I don't hand out invites to the barbecue, y'all. You know I can't stand that shit. Glennon could come to the barbecue. She would have already been there. I feel like she would have already been there. So I had someone in the DMs, in the DMTs, ask, well, and it was a white girl, or a girl who happens to be white, I should say, and she said, besides beating up white women, what's the best way to combat one, especially if speaking is not my best quality? Well, I think Glennon Doyle just gave you some entry point into that. You know, the best way to start in the movement is to come in and be like, okay, how can I be of help? But I do think that the conversation on how to challenge white women has to be had amongst women who happen to be white. Like, I just feel like that's not for me to tell you. I think that 
I also don't have fucking time to tell you how to deal with your people. But that's why I say you need to get your people, women who happen to be white. That is your marching orders. And Glennon Doyle is somebody who I feel is making it her business to tell white women specifically about themselves because she knows that they will listen to her. She's a blonde woman who happens to be white. And that is using your privilege and your relatability in a responsible and in an action-based way. If you're somebody who isn't a speaker... There's other ways. I want you to ask Glennon about them. Because the reality is, is that you do need to start doing your research. And the first thing I will say is that you do need to just start doing research. You know, watch some black stuff. Watch some stuff from people of other races. I know so many white people and people, even people who happen to be white, that simply just don't expand their viewing. You know, like they simply just don't have a, a broad aspect of like what culture is outside of their own experience. And so how can you possibly open up yourself to being a part of change if you don't even know that there is change to be had? So there's that. But Glennon Doyle, you can follow her on Instagram at G-L-E-N-N-O-N-D-O-Y-L-E. And I was so pleased to see that when I went to follow her, she was already following me. Ding. That, that one, one time. <laughs> I was on a flight one time coming from um, St. Louis and there was a woman sitting next to me and she was blonde and blue eyed. And I had just recently been on a flight from North Carolina where I was the only person of color on the flight and it ended up being terrible. And I talk about it in my stand up. So I was expecting a similar situation uh, during this flight, especially because Mike Brown had just been murdered and there were, you know, protests going on in Ferguson. And it just, just, you know, tensions were high and my awareness was even higher. Somehow we ended up talking. And in that conversation, it was very quickly revealed to me that this is a woman who happens to be white. Her name was Adelaide. I won't say her last name for just respect, but she restored a little bit of faith in me that day because I didn't have to invite her into the conversation about racism. She invited herself into it. And she, knowing the climate of what's going on, addressed it uh, in terms of Mike Brown. And she lives in St. Louis with her kids. And she spoke about the fact that she had no idea how racism St. Louis was when she got there and immediately realized that she was going to have to, like, make action-based choices on making sure that her kids had a diverse experience. And I was so relieved to hear that because... I don't think enough parents consider that. And I, I'll say that on both sides. Like, if you have black children, like, you need to make sure that they have experiences with children who are white and who happen to be white so that they know how to manage in this world because it still is as such. And until it's otherwise, that's a skill set. I was very fortunate to have a mother who believed that I needed to have that skill set and raised me to not fear anybody. And sometimes I see black folks who are afraid to you know, offend white people are afraid to approach because like we simply haven't been exposed. All we've been taught to believe is that, you know, white people have the power and so you need to respect the power. And I was taught to believe, know your shit and you got the power too. And in talking to Adelaide, um, it just really was great to see a, a woman who happens to be white that understood that not only does she have a responsibility for herself 
in challenging systems and in creating, using privilege to create platforms, but that she had a responsibility to her children and to teaching her children from day one, you know, by giving them dolls and books, et cetera, that are culturally diverse and making sure that they're exposed to different, you know, films and television, et cetera, that uh, seeks to broaden their world and dismantle the idea of supremacy that inevitably, the idea of white supremacy that inevitably is going to be pushed on them in America, especially in St. fucking Louis. You know, because she was like, we live on the other side of town from Mike Brown, and it's, you know, so segregated that they are acting like it's not happening. And like it didn't happen. And she's like, and it did happen, and it was terrible. And uh, we kept in touch, and I still... Follow her on Instagram. She follows me on Instagram. And, you know, we we chit-chat and whatnot. And I just feel like it's very important. Um, you know, it was one of those times where it's like, people will say, like, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's like, listen, as a black person in this country, like, you learn to not judge a book by its cover, but you learn to beware of opening Pandora's box. And... Sometimes you're like, I just don't want to have a racist conversation today. And far too often, it is that case. And then someone goes to touch your hair and you're like, God damn it! So, thank you Adelaide and to all the other women who happen to be white who are not celebrities, you know, who are not authors per se, but are simply just living their lives and knowing that they can be a part of change and they are an integral part of it. And take that on with pride. The last dose. Whoo! <laughs> Told you. Didn't I tell you? I didn't tell. I said we wasn't gonna mollywop y'all down. The only people who would be offended listening to this episode are the people who should be offended, and that's white women. And if you're offended by this episode, you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. You need to put some Sarah McLaughlin on. And you need to go in the shower and sit. And think about the arms of the angels. Think about it. <laughs> you know I'm singing it in my head right now, right? <laughs> Far away from here. In a dark, cold hotel room. And the endlessness that you fear. You've been pulled from the wreckage of your silent reverie. You're in the arms of the freaking angels. You will find comfort here except you didn't know that that angel was a black man and now you can't just be comfortable you got to be aware because you got to understand that you need to relate to that person in a different way okay and then another angel walks up and that angel is a sister and she's like you better be careful i'm just clowning her at this point i um i love doing this show I love doing this podcast. I love when I meet y'all on the street and, you know, people say, like, I learned so much. And the best part about doing this podcast is that I am an absolute black woman that is speaking from black woman experience. And it's so dope how many times I get folks who are not black women coming up to me in the street saying, like, I love your podcast. And, like, I was in Urban Outfitters and this guy came up to me and he was like, I just listened to your podcast, all of it. And I was like, oh, which one? And he was like, all of them. I listened to all of them. And I was like, oh, my God! And, um... You know, it's just, it's important because the experience of a black woman does need to be heard by folks that aren't just black women. 
And this episode does speak to the experience of side effects of white women from my point of view. But I think that there's a number of women who and, and people who can relate to this. There are women who happen to be white who are like, ah, I feel you. I can't stand it. Because once you reach a certain level of woke whiteness, you know, you aren't able to really relate anymore to those folks. Because you're like, do you see you? Oh, my fucking God, Hannah. Shut up. We need people like you. We need people like you. Um, I don't by any means want racism to be upheld. I don't by any means want us to continue to be divided. I think that the difficulty of having these conversations is that some people feel like by having them, you are increasing the division. But I think that by not having them, you ignore that the division exists. And you cannot fix something unless you acknowledge it. Period. Uh, so I hope that you guys got a good listen and I hope you understood where I'm coming from and where our DMT questions were coming from. And I hope that those of you who do consider yourselves to be women who happen to be white, take action. And I hope those of us who are not consider, um, continue to, to, to consider women who happen to be white that are doing the work as allies. And we all got to work together and on a basic note, just to not like be stressed all the goddamn time, you know, just on a basic note. There's, fought, there's fights to be fought, and there's roles to be played in those fights. Know your role. And women who happen to be white, get your people. It's a good show.